What's real? What's up, everybody? It is episode 47 of the What's Real podcast. I hope everybody out there is doing uh, wonderful today. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my main man with the motherfucking plan, the tag team championship partner in podcasting himself, the J. Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Hey, y'all, given my pilgrim-esque kind of lingo here for the turkey month in uh, November on the What's Real podcast, episode 4-7, man, closing in on the big 5-0. As you can tell, hey, yeah, I'm nice and pumped up, nice and striated, nice and vascular. I, I know we got a ton and ton of stuff to go over, and we've been at this for a while, peeps, this week. We've been having some technical <laughs> difficulties. So this is recording number five, going for the gusto, hey, you know, as, as I always love to shout out freaking um, Elijah Wood from that goofy-ass Huck Finn movie, Go for the glory, Huck. And we're going for the glory. Hate you up, but I'm nice and pumped up for the 4-7. This is going to be a just a venture into delirium this week, guys. So bear with us. We do have a huge show for you guys this week. Of course, we're going to be talking about some NFL Week 10, including our weekly power rankings, some fantasy talk, and a breakdown of the Steelers versus the Cincinnati Bengals from this past weekend. We're going to be talking some 2020 Survivor Series. We flubbed last week on the show and said we were going to do a review for you. Uh, We could still do that review, but the show didn't happen, so it'd probably be very inaccurate. So instead, we're just going to preview the show, give you guys an idea of what to expect on the paper you this upcoming weekend and of course the show is always jam-packed with movie goodness we got a brand new movie and uh some fun stuff on thursday night prime on thursday night prime we're gonna have blind fury from 1989 starring rutger hauer as a blind man who's quite the ass kisser or i should say ass kicker not kisser told you delirium setting in delirium um and also we're gonna be talking the trial of the chicago seven brand new netflix release um, and much, much more with all kinds of goofs and fun stuff as we do here on the program. But the J, we've been seeing a whole bunch of NBA madness uh, this past uh, day or so, I should say. Uh, it seems that James Harden and the Rockets uh, are coming to a close because he turned down a two-year max contract, which would have made him the very first $50 million a year player in the NBA. Um, and word is he would like to go to the Nets to join Kyrie Irving and former teammate Kevin Durant. Um, and there's been some trades, all kinds of fun stuff, man. The Bucks are loading up. Um, but like, man, it's just like in a matter of a day, we've seen the the NBA pretty much explode. And we have the draft coming up this week, too. Um, by the time you guys listen to this, the NBA draft will have already happened. So, yeah, the NBA, man, uh, just hit the championship, gave it to the Lakers. And here we are where the moves are already starting to go uh, because they're going to be dealing with quite the shortened offseason this year. That's the thing. The timing's there for all this because we're here in mid-November and the NBA season starts in mid-December. So we're roughly, you know, month countdown to the start of the, the next season, which is crazy. But we're kind of getting used to the craziness here in 2020 in Corona land. Hey, you know, so um, this this is the time for a lot of moves to be made. I know Harden uh, in particular is not happy there. Uh, there's been a lot of changes in Houston with the general manager and coach yep. and things like that. And I know uh, he, you know, both he and um, Westbrook aren't like in the direction that it's looking like Houston might be going in and things like that. But Harden's kind of locked into his deal. So whether he wants to go or not, um, if they're not going to want to get rid of him, which is kind of looking like the the owner's leaning on, 
then they're not. So, I mean, he could want to go somewhere till he's blue in the face, but if he's stuck in that contract, he's going to be stuck in Houston. Yeah, and I, I do think, though, just looking at the overall of everything that we've seen from them from last year where they ended up uh, and what's going on with their their whole experiment of small ball, um, that it's probably time for them to move on, uh, trade Westbrook, trade Harden, see what you could get in return. I know that uh, they just got Trevor Ariza uh, from the Blazers. So, you know, th- it is probably time for the team to move on. I don't see them, you know, they're, they have too much money tied up in two guys and, uh, and they they were willing to, to go even further uh, with James Harden as far as the money goes. But I think Harden realized too, that, you know, if he takes that contract, that's really limiting them financially. And it's going to be really hard for them to improve the team with what they have now in a realistic sense. That's not going to take years. Right. He's just one guy, but to turn down that kind of money, Hey, uh, wow. Ballsy move. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, I would say no matter what, but it just, it just shows you, you know, how he's kind of eyeing up and it's what we've said in the past too. It's, you know, how much money do you need kind of thing? It's like, he, you know, he's a multimillionaire anyway. He's probably more concerned about his career and winning championships than being the highest paid player ever at this point. Um, either way, kudos to him and an interesting situation there. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but some some other interesting trades uh, down the line here too. Yeah, there's been all kinds of stuff going on here, uh, specifically with the Bucks, for example. Um, they are very close right now to acquiring Drew Holiday uh, from the Pelicans. And this is what the deal's looking like. Uh, they're going to get Drew Holiday and the Pelicans' 2022nd round pick, which is 60th overall. And they're going to be trading Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, the 2021st rounder. They have the ability to swap first rounders in 2024. Uh, they have a 2025 first rounder that's unprotected. They could swap first round rights in 26 and a 27 unprotected first rounder. So they're giving up a lot there. And they've actually already, uh, this one's been completed, uh, sign and trade where uh, the Sacramento Kings send Bogdan Bogdanovic and Justin James to the Bucks, and the Kings will get Dante DiVincenzo, Ilasova, and DJ Wilson. So they're making moves, and they're trying to keep their big-name superstar in Giannis extremely happy, especially after them, uh, you know, getting bounced from the bubble so quick last year. Or this That's year. That's the thing, say. it's... Yeah, this just this past bubble here, and that's the thing, man. It's professional sports. You have that momentum. You have that elite player. You got to keep it going, you know. So uh, it's it's good to see that the Bucks are making some moves to make sure that they don't get bounced this year. Yeah, and there's some other teams making some moves too. Specifically, the uh, Phoenix Suns um, moved heaven and earth to get Chris Paul. Uh, so they acquire Chris Paul and Abdul Nader from the Thunder, and the Thunder get the 2022 first round pick of the Suns. They get uh, Jalen LeJue or LeCue. They're going to get Ty Jerome, Ricky Rubio, and Kelly Obrey Jr. So, you know, they're getting a lot in return for Chris Paul, who is making a ton of money and isn't getting any younger. So that's a big move for them, but boy, they really put all their chips in one basket for this one. That's the thing. That's a big risk. But you're talking about a franchise, you know, in Phoenix that has a decade long NBA playoff drought. So maybe they're thinking adding Paul to point guard uh, breaks that and gets them in there. So we'll see. But like you said, it's it's an older Chris Paul than a rookie Chris Paul. But 
nonetheless, it's it's still Chris Paul playing well. And you, you mentioned it, dude. They moved heaven and earth to acquire him here. Just all kinds of guys for for him. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Also, we saw the Nets acquire Bruce Brown from the Pistons for Dezanin Muzo or Musa and the 2021 second round pick from Toronto that they have. And also the Lakers made a move. They sent Danny Green and their 2020 first round pick, that's 28th overall, to Oklahoma for Dennis Schroeder, which is a, a really nice ad for them, uh, who was basically playing as a six man in Oklahoma City. But I think there's a very strong possibility of him either coming off the bench as a six man or being a starter uh, for the Lakers next season. So that's a huge move for them. Again, you want to keep the momentum going. You want to have a repeat championship. You got to make the correct moves. And I think that's definitely a good gift for LA. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, they're going to keep it moving, man, especially with teams like Golden State, which, uh, you know, weren't really a factor last year because of injury. They're going to be back. Um, you know, the West is going to be quite different. So, I mean, it's a smart move on the Lakers part to keep beefing up from there. Uh, And of course, as the weeks go on here on the show, we will have any further updates that we can have for you. Uh, As far as the NBA free agency period goes, we got the NBA draft coming up this week. So we'll have some news on that next week as well. Um, And a lot more as far as that goes. So moving right along here, this was kind of a sad note, uh, something that I saw that uh, just kind of came out of nowhere. This was in the LA Times, uh, but Michael J. Fox plans second retirement as his health declines, as well as more revelations from his book. Um, As you may know, he was diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's disease at age 29 when he was already a major movie and television star. Um, He's worked sparingly throughout the years um, on a lot of stuff. Uh, And he's, you know, been nominated for numerous amounts of Emmys and he's done, you know, a lot of film work as well. But uh, it's it's pretty sad at this point, uh, you know, for that, because uh, he's not that old of a guy. And, uh, you know, anytime something like that happens, it's it's disturbing in and of itself. But it's also really sad because you're basically seeing somebody's decline into really poor health. And it's not his fault at all. We talk nostalgia all the time here on the show. And, of course, growing up on the Back to the Future franchise and Teen Wolf being one of my favorites as a, a little kid and everything. Uh, Michael J. Fox definitely has a special place in my heart. And uh, yeah, it's heartbreaking to see, man, diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 29. I mean, he wasn't even 30 yet when he was diagnosed with this disease. And he was actually told at the time, hey, Ed, from reading up on this, a doctor initially uh, during the first diagnosis and that sort of thing back then told him that he would be lucky to work for 10 more years. Well, 30 years and eight Emmy nominations later, the jokes on that guy. So, um, you know, that's a cool thing to see. Like you said, that sparingly or not, he has been able to still uh, work and, and do what he loves to do as a, as a great actor and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's just very sad. And um, it, it's one of those things, as I always say with stuff like this, Hey, you that puts your, it should put your own life into perspective. You know, when you're having a down day or something like that, you know, Michael J. Fox kind of fighting through this disease for most of his life and being as upbeat and positive as he can about it and things like that. And accomplishing writing these books. And, and as we said, you know, these Emmy nominations and things, um, it's something that is definitely sobering and uh, my hat's off to him, man. He, he seems like a great guy. And, uh, you know, like I said, love him as an actor. So totally tough, tough to watch what's going on. Totally agree with everything you said there. So from us here at the what's real podcast, we send our best out to Michael J. Fox. 
as far as his health goes. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see some sort of turnaround there and, you know, he can live the rest of his days uh, pretty well uh, at the very least. So uh, moving right along here, we have some wrestling stuff uh, for you this week. Um, major, major story too, but real quick, just wanted to, to mention this, but the Young Bucks new book, Killing the Business, was released this past week. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I, I remember we talked about it. I just don't remember, you know, because it was a while ago. Did you order a copy of this? I pre-ordered it, yeah, and it actually came today. Hey, okay. hot off the press, as Did I you get say. a chance to check it out? I mean, obviously, I don't expect you to read the whole book, but did you get a chance to, like, look yeah. it over or anything? Uh, you know that about me. I'm a speed reader, so yes, I've already read it. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's it's one of those things. I kind of got it for inspiration, you know. As always with the independent film stuff, certain like weird things that they kind of speak to me personally. Mm-hmm. This is kind of it, as it says right on the cover. Hey, Al, killing the business. It's called from backyards to the big leagues, and that is your boys. We were backyarders, yeah. and I had a little semblance of an indie career and, and went for the the OVW tryout that was the the WWE's minor leagues at the time and that sort of thing. So uh, that was my biggest interest to kind of see their perspective on their their rise from being backyarders. And uh, I think you could agree with me. Hey, Al, the coolest thing about the Young Bucks, in my opinion, is the fact that they were able to stay away from ever being a part of WWE and making it on their yeah. own. Because uh, in the professional wrestling world, especially modern day, as we said, WWE basically being a monopoly in a lot of ways, that's a very tough thing to do. Absolutely, man. I give them all the credit in the world for being able to do that. Now, uh, I know I, I didn't ask you where you got it from or anything like that, but I know because I, I saw it myself whenever they were kind of hyping it up before the release. But I saw that a lot of the pre-orders and stuff uh, that they were doing uh, came with an autograph copy did you get an autographed one or did that uh they sell out too fast yeah i got an autographed copy from uh amazon okay yeah that's that was pretty cool yeah i saw that they were doing it through amazon so i thought that was kind of surprising but also cool so uh and how much is it i have no idea i think it was i believe it was 30 bucks it is hardcover and stuff right Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you guys can check that out if you're interested. That's called Killing the Business and it's available on Amazon.com as well as I'm sure other booksellers online. And it's available right now. Uh, yeah. And if I get to it, maybe I can give a rundown on on the show. But you know my schedule. Hey, oh, that might be six months plus from now. Yeah. So stay tuned. As I sit here right now and have several books next to me that I purchased and still have yet to read. Um, oh, I have a it, library. It's ridiculous. Um, but. <laughs> On to the world of wrestling as well here. Uh, before we wrap up, um, Zelina Vega uh, was recently released from the WWE, um, stemming from her third-party affiliations uh, with Twitch and apparently OnlyFans that she was running a, a site off of there. And it's been of much contention recently as WWE is trying to crack down on the WWE superstars going to third parties and uh, essentially making extra income for themselves. Um, and she was not having that at all. Um, she also uh, went on Twitter and about 15 minutes before they announced her release, she mentioned that she supports unionization. Um, we've seen this from other superstars on Twitter, uh, specifically Paige is another one that I saw do the same type of thing. Um, and she was essentially uh, released from the company. And it also uh, still bleeds into WWE because her husband is WWE superstar Alistair Black. He was recently denied a request to go to NXT 
Um, and this is definitely something that I see brewing even further uh, with, you know, what's going on with him. Uh, she's obviously going to continue to run her third party uh, sites and stuff that she she did previously. And it's most likely that in about 90 days, whenever her non-complete or non-compete clause uh, is up, that she's going to probably move on somewhere else. And I'm thinking AEW would probably be a really good landing spot for her, considering she can wrestle. She's also a manager and I could see her doing some, some commentary or broadcasting as well. You know me, hey, Eod, I always throw that term at you, that oxymoronic term uh, describing the WWE as corporate pro wrestling. And this goes into that, man. You you know, you have this corporate atmosphere of a billionaire owner. You have a multi-million dollar company. You have employees that work for the company that aren't putting their bodies on the line that have 401ks and healthcare and stuff and insurance. And then you have the performers who are still in 2020 considered independent contractors. And the fact that this is going on during a pandemic to boot where they're, you know, nobody's making as much uh, supplemental income on the side as they do when they're uh, housing packed arenas and things and merch and and all, all that goes into that come on, man. Like you can't let them, uh, cause on top of it, they're not doing anything wrong. They're doing this on their own time. We, we discussed it before. They're not doing it as their WWE mm-hmm. characters either. You know, she's not on there as uh, Selena Vega. She's on there as her real name is Thea Trinidad. Yep. And you know, same with Paige and, and a bunch of the other people. So they're not doing anything wrong. In my opinion, towards the WWE, no. they're, they're doing what they can during a pandemic to make some extra side money when they're not making anywhere near the money they do as independent contractors getting paid directly when they perform on the shows and things like that. So I think this is other, utterly despicable from Vince McMahon and the WWE. And as far as Al- Alistair Black goes, I mean, he has, he should look at it like this. Hey, Ed, we're from his perspective, I would say, look, WWE, you have three, I, you have three strikes against yep. me. You know, you're, you're not using me properly at all. When I was getting a decent push from Paul Heyman, creative changed, and now I'm just floundering. You treated my wife like shit and fired her. And now I asked to go to NXT where I'm going to feel more comfortable in the, within this uh, company. And you denied that. So I, I can't see him being anything but disgruntled. Yeah. Point. And I mean, this is a guy that uh, you know, Paul Heyman was a big fan of uh, when he was running Raw. And he was used as such. And since Paul Heyman's been relieved of his duties as the booker on Raw, he's been completely misused. He hasn't been on Raw in over a month. They've actually moved him over to SmackDown during the draft, and he has yet to appear on the program. Um, So they're not really using him. He's probably getting more frustrated. The wife situation only makes everything worse. Um, And and the bottom line is, even though the WWE is done with Zelina Vega and she's going to move on, they're not done with Aleister Black. So they essentially created a further situation that's going to bleed into their roster, possibly into their locker room. It's just a really stupid move, in my opinion. And we've even talked about this off air, but about a year or so ago, there was an episode of John Oliver, uh, his show on HBO, uh, which he mentioned uh, specifically how the WWE superstars were independent contractors. And that 
that segment got a lot of traction online and it got a lot of people talking. Since then, we've heard countless wrestlers mention things about unionization. Um, we even saw a former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, speak about it on Twitter, being a former wrestling fan, that if he would somehow become the new labor secretary, this is something he was going to take a look at. And with somebody like him saying that on Twitter, you would have to imagine that it's also on the radar of other politicians as well, or whoever would be in that labor secretary spot if Andrew Yang doesn't get it. So this is a problem that's going to continue on for WWE. And you know the way they're trying to do this with the way they stamped her out real quick, that they're trying to like shove this under the rug and move along. But I don't think they control that narrative. And it doesn't seem to be a story that's going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, the the Sports Illustrated wrestling section article I brought up as reference has a a bit in here that's saying that the new restrictions on supplemental income streams have irked several members of the roster, uh, as we're thoroughly discussing here, and that last month, hey, Ed, a group of wrestlers, not including Trinidad, Zelina Vega, reportedly met with McMahon at the WWE's Connecticut headquarters to express the displeasure with the company's Twitch Mm -hmm. plan, and of course, to no avail. Yeah, they literally so, did nothing. You know how Vince McMahon is. And I do know, Yeah, so uh, I did read something that, and I do know specifically that AJ Styles and Xavier Woods were both in that meeting. Um, so yeah, that's that's incredibly frustrating, even from a fan standpoint too, because now I don't watch any of this stuff, but just for people unfamiliar with Twitch, uh, these people are not going on Twitch and doing wrestling. Like they, they have video game shows, just, life in general shows, lifestyle shows, things like that. So this isn't even them, you know, capitalizing on the fact that they're WWE superstars in a wrestling capacity either. They're doing completely different content. And I don't understand why that's valuable to the WWE other than the fact that their superstars are making money doing it because it's not not the same product. It seems it seems like greed to me. It seems like they're not going after them for having personal Facebook pages, but yep. Twitch and OnlyFans and these things you can monetize. So there you go. Yeah, it just seems another another instance where uh, the WWE, other than for nostalgic reasons of people wanting, you know, I grew up wanting to be a WWE superstar. Um, I'm just seeing less and less reasons uh, other than money. Uh, why anybody would want to go and work for the company because there's a very good chance that you could, you know, maybe you've built up a very successful reputation and career for yourself only to go there and watch it flounder and essentially have to start from square one again once they get rid of you when they no longer have a use for you. So I don't really see the appeal for a lot of uh, a lot of these guys to go there in the first place. We are just talking about the Young Bucks. That yeah. segues right into that. They're a prime example. Why the hell would they go to a corporation that's just going to take all their shit, you know? So that's why they went and were founding fathers of a completely separate wrestling entity. So there you go. And my, my last two takes on, on this topic, hey, you are one, I think Zelina Vega will be fine on landing Absolutely. on her feet. Um, you know, I, don't, I, I think that Tony Khan and AEW – uh, take a, a good strategy with how they sign talent. They don't just sign anybody like um, TNA and Impact did back yep. in the day. Seemed like anybody that the WWE released, they would just snatch up no matter what. They're, they're more, um, you know, they're more strict with that over there at AEW. Uh, Tony Khan in, in the segment we were speaking of last week on Talk is Jericho with Miro. We even mentioned how Miro was like the only guy in a slew of guys that were released that Khan was even interested in. 
However, all that said, I think Zelina would be a, a very nice fit in AEW. Uh, you already stated all the the stuff that she's capable of, whether it's managing, wrestling, possibly commentating, things like that. I mean, she's a more than one threat. So I think that she would actually be a recent WWE release that AEW could be interested in signing. And hopefully at the end of the day, with all the stuff we've just discussed in this segment, this is this tiny spark that can maybe make a big change in favor of the professional wrestlers under the WWE company. Yeah, it would be nice. Absolutely. I'd like to see that happen too. And essentially that would just improve the overall life quality of professional wrestlers. And then we could see not only, you know, guys and girls, you know, succeeding in the business, but we could also see them live a nice quality, decent life uh, once they're in ring, you know, career has subsided. So uh, with healthcare, yes. it's insane to me that a multi-million dollar professional wrestling company, your wrestlers don't have health care when you constantly get hurt. In that yeah, industry. it's utterly ridiculous. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, guys, we have a big show uh, for you for you this week, uh, as usual here uh, with all kinds of fun movie reviews, some wrestling talk and of course the NFL. Uh, if you like what you hear, we ask that uh, if you're listening on iTunes, you go give us a five star review helps out the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program. Uh, you can also listen on your favorite podcasting platforms every week, such as Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and of course, every week at churchillpictures.com. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to add to the show, if you want to contact us for advertising, just to tell us to fuck off, whatever you want to say, you can do it through email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on the Twitter machine at whatsrealpod and the number one. Again, that's whatsrealpod1 on Twitter. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, it's time to get into week 10 of the NFL. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. The Unsung by Churchill Pictures. In an old industrial town, a homeless man roams the streets looking for a place to rest when he comes across a young girl in danger. He runs to her aid, and as a kind gesture, she leads him to a homeless village where he is inspired by the friendships he makes there. Soon, he finds himself involved in a search for a serial killer while running afoul of the lead detective and the law. Churchill Pictures presents The Unsung. Directed by Damian Fusca. Hi, this is Ed for the What's Real podcast for Churchill Pictures film Deference. Churchill Pictures' first feature film is now available to own in a hard copy format. The film is available on a USB flash drive in exclusive collector's edition packaging. To order for free today for all What's Real listeners, just email churchillpicturesllc at gmail.com and get your copy today for free. Just pay the price of shipping. That's Churchill Pictures LLC at gmail.com. And we're back and better than ever, just like uh, the great Eric Bischoff says. And it is time for us to get into our week 10 breakdown. But before we do all that, let's get into it. The Jay fantasy football this week. How'd you fare with your two teams? So play the bagpipes. Hey, y'all, it's a death in the family. I am pretty much statistically out of both of my leagues. I do not even want to talk about the team dubbed the Blue Dragons. They are one and nine. I got absolutely annihilated 
this week. And then the purple headed warriors who I was mentioning were kind of in the mix. They could have made a turn. I got annihilated this week with them and I have some, <laughs> you know, spots that are open this week and things like that because of uh, bye weeks and injuries and stuff that kind of fuck me. So I'm four and six. So I'm pretty much giving up this year. Hate y'all. So I, I won't be long winded about my dismal fantasy teams this week. Yeah. So for me, I was looking like the favorite going in. And of course, you know, how that works out. I was the loser this week, 105 to 95. And it is not looking good at all. I'm now in 12th place out of 14 teams. I am three, six and one on the season. And I'm essentially tied for 13th place, really. Um, it's not looking good. The next spots up from where I'm at are four and six. There's four, five, two teams that are four, five, and one. There's two teams that are five and five, and there are one, two, three teams that are six and four, a seven and three team and an eight and two team. Uh, I don't, I think maybe if I went out, I could potentially make it depending on how everything shakes out, but I can't lose again the rest of the year. And chances are my season is also done. I'll reserve that for next week here on the show, but uh, yeah, not looking good at all. Not so. not a fun year, hey, you know, I ironically, as we've stated in the past, that this is the year we started a podcast to talk about our fantasy teams and both of us that have had some semblances of success in the past. This is ironically both of our worst years of all time. Yep. It's not even close. So uh, with that being said, let's just move right along here. It is time. We, you know, we do here on the show, guys. We're big Pittsburgh Steelers fans. So it's time to get into it. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. This was a matchup that a lot of people weren't really looking forward to uh, for, you know, obvious reasons, considering one team's undefeated and the other team has two wins. Um, I was curious about this game uh, just from the, the perspective of wanting to see what Joe Burrow was like in, you know, in the NFL, basically. Um, and the end result wasn't a big surprise. The Pittsburgh Steelers would go on to win the game handily 36 to 10 to move to nine and zero at the top of the division. And for the first time this year, by the way, the Pittsburgh Steelers now officially lead the NFL in wins with nine. No other team has nine. Beautiful. So you, you know how we break it down here on the show. We do the good, the bad and the ugly. So this week, the J, what do you got in the good section? Got to throw it at you again this week. Hey, you as is tradition, which, you know, can change because we call it like it is. But I'm going to throw him first and foremost in the good. Once again, Big Ben Big Roethlisberger, ben. man, looking Absolutely. great, managing the game well, uh, coming back from last week's injury, looked looked fine. Uh, had a little scare there, you know, rubbing his elbow on an awkward fall at, at one point after a play, but uh, still staying healthy overall. And dude, I don't I don't know if you if you would agree with me on this, but I thought that this was probably Ben Roethlisberger's best overall game this season passing wise. Yeah, it's one of them. And I mean, here's the thing. Full disclosure, as we know, as guys that that have to know about the NFL, the basically the, the Bengals secondary was the backups of the backups of their quarterbacks. And <laughs> yeah, cuz they had injuries and everything. Their, their rookie, a rookie was playing that got picked on really bad. Yeah, they're very banged up, but that's having a veteran quarterback, a legendary veteran quarterback like Big Ben who figured out pretty quickly that they had the banged up secondary and couldn't cover downfield, so he aired the ball out the whole game. 
Um, he threw 46 times for play play. I don't know if this is against the devil or what. Three three hundred thirty three yards. Hey, three three three, um, and, and most importantly, four touchdowns. So as you said, yes. man, it, it, I definitely wouldn't argue if if you're saying that this was um, his most balanced overall effort so far this year. But that is definitely my first good. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the Ben stuff. Uh, another one that I have on my good list, uh, I'm going to name two players and then more of it's uh, team related from there. But two players I wanted to mention this week, first up being Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, looking very good, very consistent, which is what I like about him in our offense right now. And I think that that's something that uh, is extremely important because you know other guys do a lot as far as the receivers go. Um, but Juju is the the third down guy like the guy that you throw the ball to when you absolutely need to make the completion. That's kind of what he's turned into this season. And I like that about him. So I wanted to give him a nod. And this is one that you're not going to hear a whole lot, but I thought he was absolutely fantastic this weekend. And that's Chris Boswell, um, which at this point, I believe he has 26 or 27 consecutive uh, field goals made, which leads the league right now. Nobody's near him at that point. But yeah, he's been, uh, you know, 26 or 27 out of the last 26 or 27 that he's kicked. So that's pretty damn good. And that's definitely a big reason why the Steelers have been so consistent this year. That's a great call because, you know, we, we mentioned it. This was kind of a weird timing game. It was 425 on Fox. With for an AFC matchup is kind of a an atypical kind of thing. I mean, not it was a, because of the damn Masters being on CB. Because I knew that we knew there had to be air, a reason for it. Yeah, they didn't air any one o'clock uh, football games. They didn't start showing games until four o'clock after the Masters was over. So that makes sense. So so anyway, I only bring that up because living here in the pit, it was an extremely windy game, windy day, and Jesus. as I was watching the one o'clock games, my my outside there was all the all this banging and shit, and we had like stuff that we have on our back deck falling over that I had to bring in the house. I told you I almost had a concussion. I got hit with a tree branch <laughs> when I was out there, so it, it was nuts. And to your point with Chris Boswell, um, I, that that kind of even worried me going in. I'm like, man, there's crazy wind. Is is the kicking game going to have an effect on this? And, and fortunately it didn't. Boswell's looking great as you stated. Yeah. He's looked very, very good this season. Uh, hasn't been as consistent on the extra points, but frankly, if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather have my kicker be more consistent on field goals. Uh, they're worth more points. Including a 59 so, yarder last week. Yeah. And when you're kicking them, you know, usually the Steelers anyway, like they're important. They need those three points. So I definitely give him credit there. And for the last thing that I have on my good this week, and uh, this is particularly the uh, wide receivers, but I really liked the spread offense that they were running this week uh, using multiple receivers. Uh, Ben, of course, throwing the football all over the place to different guys. Uh, And I think that that's one way the Steelers offense could be very, very good this year, uh, keeping these guys spread out. Because like I said, you have guys like Juju who are the consistent underneath guys. You've, you have Ebron who's really uh, done a good job coming on the last few weeks. And then, you know, whenever you get into guys like Deontay Johnson, uh, Claypool, and even, you know, we saw that a little bit this week, uh, James Washington, uh, these guys are good at going down the field so they can really spread everything out. And I think if the Steelers are running an offense like that, I don't care who they face. It's going to be incredibly hard for anybody to stop. Good call, man. I have two last kind of fun tidbits here in the good section. Hey, you know, 
Number one is a great stat. Us here at the What's Roll podcast with our weird number correlations. This is the Mario Lemieux correlation. Hey, y'all. But the Pittsburgh Steelers defense has 66 straight games with a sack stemming from Sunday. So that's an unbelievable stat. And the defense still leads the NFL in sacks this season. So that's a great thing. And they've, and I didn't know this until the game on Sunday, um, but they've led the league in sacks for the last three years. Amazing. And then the last one, every each and every year too, not collectively. So every year they've been the league leader in sacks for the last three seasons. Beautiful. And uh, round out the good. Hey, we'll get into the bad and the ugly. The Pittsburgh Steelers have nearly as many wins as the entire NFC East combined, <laughs> 10, 10 to 9. And I thought that was hilarious. And, dude, that was crazy when we said that earlier yeah. this season. Yeah, now it's but 10 like, to 9. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. So some good stuff this week, hey, you um, And that's the thing. There's not too much bad. Um, you know, for me, once again, so, some of the play calls, you know, at some points um, weren't weren't the best. Um, I'm, Boy, they kept running that weird the, like the jet uh, reverse thing with with Claypool yeah, a lot too. Exactly, and and Ugh. there was a couple times they did like yeah, a couple play calls in a row that that didn't work. Uh, one once again, uh, our running game. That's not you know, yep. it's not dude, a definitive have, good. It's kind of more in my bag no, right now. Dude, In my bad right now, I have, and it's obviously like one and one A, is the running game and the run blocking from the offensive line still don't look good. And that's pretty, that's worrisome at this point because we've seen that two games in a row and we've seen that against fucking Cincinnati and Dallas. So that's really bad. It's scary for the the big games, the elite teams, yeah, the, the, the Kansas Cities and, and and stuff like that. So. Even Baltimore, yeah, Baltimore. You know, they're gonna man. have to play them again. Yep, Thanksgiving, man. We'll we'll be covering that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that kind of round out rounds out my bad. Hey, I don't know if you had any. Of and that. the the only other bad thing I have, and obviously this pertains to uh, the COVID uh, positive Vance McDonald. Uh, we have a little bit of a problem right now with our depth at tight end because there was a point in the game on Sunday where it looked like Ebron got kind of shaken up after he went ass over tea kettle after catching a pass. And uh, he was kind of limping off. They made it. He came right back after one play. But like whenever that happened, I'm like, man, you lose him and you're in some serious trouble at tight end. You're talking practice squad guys or guys that barely made the team. And they're not going to be proficient at catching the ball at all. And some of them aren't even going to be, you know, proficient at blocking, especially because I felt like they they could have used Vance McDonald this past weekend in the blocking capacity in the running game. Yeah, it's good calls. Uh, my my ugly was two receptions by Tyler Boyd, Pittsburgh's own, the um, yeah all time receiver from the University of Pittsburgh. There was uh, that 147-yard catch where he was blatantly held and interfered with by Edmonds, and he still somehow fucking caught it one-handed. And then, He's a um, really good receiver, man. I think yeah. he's super underrated playing for Cincinnati, and it's obviously going to help him playing with Burrow, 
But I think that dude needs to be on the first train fucking out of Cincinnati the first chance he gets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, because the, the, there was the the second pass that he caught that was a 15 yard touchdown on um, Joe Hayden. And it, at the time is the beginning of the game, but it put the Bengals up seven to three. And it did like, you know, at that point, you're kind of thinking, like I was saying last week, is this that fucking trap game? Like, oh, no. Uh, but, you know, yeah. making the notes during the game uh, that just went into my my only ugly. Was those two and catches. dude, I, I don't even have an ugly this week. I thought that, uh, you know, there was some bad stuff, but nothing particularly ugly. Uh, and that could be a good or bad thing the way you look at it. It's a good thing because there's no ugly, but it's a bad thing because it's like, well, you played against the Bengals. There shouldn't. Yeah, be you did uglies. what you were supposed so, to do. Yep. It, exactly. So, you know, let's not go walking around and patting each other on the back quite yet. But um, but overall, I thought it was a, a definitely a commanding win for the Steelers. Uh, I was very happy with it. Um, it, they didn't start off the strongest, but they kind of snapped into it pretty quick. It, it wasn't something like we've seen that in the the past few games where they've kind of like been stagnant as hell in the first half and didn't wake up until the second half. That wasn't the case in this game. They kind of got everything together pretty quickly, and uh, you know the game really wasn't close at all. It was a pretty overall good performance for by the Steelers. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very happy with it to go nine and oh, to be like I said earlier, you have the most wins in the NFL right now. You are currently the number one seed in the AFC and you're currently the first place team in the AFC North, man. No complaints for me this season. It's been great. Yeah, because we'll get there. But Baltimore got upset this week. So that just helped us. So we're looking yep. looking really good right and now. And that's. And that's a really good thing, too, because we're, uh, you know, three games up on them in the division plus a half game because we already beat them. So to go up three and a half games on, on Baltimore right now is great. And you figure, too, even if we keep it, you know, even for the rest of the season, but we beat them again, you know, we're going to go up another game and a half. So that'd be five games ahead of them at that point. And they're they're not going to you know be able to come down to it for that. But that's a good thing and a bad thing, because obviously the Steelers are doing very well this season, currently undefeated, the only undefeated team in the league. But the thing is, man, if they keep rolling like this, they're going to win that division pretty early. And then they're going to be kind of stagnant for a few weeks here before the playoffs start. And that's not always a good thing. So we'll have to see how that unfolds, you know, as the weeks go down, you know, down the line here in the season. Cross the bridges when we get there. Hey, that's for sure. But through 10 weeks, we're looking pretty. Absolutely. And that looks to be the case this upcoming weekend. The next game the Steelers have, they will be going down to the home of AEW in Jacksonville to play the Jaguars on uh, Sunday, the 22nd at 1 p.m. And uh, the J, what do you think here? For the power rankings? No, no, no. For Just for the Jags and the Steelers this upcoming weekend. Oh, I'm sorry. I was uh, prepping myself here. Hey, you um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that this should be, I mean, you're, you're talking about, we came into to last week facing a, a two win team with a tie. Now we're facing a one win team. This, in my opinion, is definitely not a trap game. Uh, the Jaguars are one of the worst teams in the league. So I think this is one we just have to just close out. I mean, there's no excuses to have any remote problem with Jacksonville, in my opinion. Hey, you yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't see this as a trap game at all. I think this is a game the Steelers should handily win, even not at full capacity or, you know, whatever you want to see. Even if, you know, guys don't go out and play, you know, balls against the wall, I still think that they should be able to stumble in a victory 
against the Jaguars. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the Steelers are going to win this one pretty handily. I'm going to go with 31-7 Pittsburgh. Okay, I'll go uh, 35-17. to 17. And okay. I'm going to say, as we always do, a prayer to the football gods. No, no injuries. <laughs> hey, you that's, that's what this game is. No fucking injuries for the Steelers. That's, uh, that's what we need yeah. to come out unscathed. Dude, I totally agree with you on that one too, especially because, you know, they got some really, really rough games coming up here. Uh, you know, they're going to have to play obviously the Ravens on a short week on yeah, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving yep. You know, we got Washington coming up. We got the bills, which is probably our biggest game. I would say in December, uh, we got to play the Bengals again. We get the Colts and the Browns again. So it's looking really good for the Steelers. You know, I know a lot of people were even saying uh, over the last week or two that, you know, the Steelers could possibly go undefeated. Um, I don't think so. And I don't know necessarily if I want that to happen or not, because you know how that goes going into the playoffs, then your back's really against the wall, but hell, I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff through the years in football. You know, we're lucky being Steeler fans. And I don't think either one of us would complain about seeing an undefeated season if something like that would happen. <laughs> of course not. So uh, bring it on, football gods. If that's what you got in store for us, I'm here for it. But, you know, that's that's definitely a long shot. I'd rather just, uh, you know, be hoping that the Steelers. Yeah, just get, just get that number one seed. That's what we need. Absolutely. So let's get into it, the Jay. It is that time once again for our weekly NFL power rankings. What's real NFL power rankings 2020? You know how it goes where we rank each and every 32 teams and discuss kind of the outcomes and what we think about each and every team as well. So the Jay, I, I think that uh, things might be changing a little bit here. Um, but not as far as consistency goes. And I'm going to say that you might be tuning up the band here and I'm going to go out on a limb. And if it's anything like mine, you might mention a place so nice. They named it Jacksonville. So what do you got at 32 and 31 this week in your power rankings? Hey, you you and I both like, like some punk music. So not only do I have the orchestra again this week, but I hired uh, to bring in some some punk guys from the streets of New York. So Perfect. <laughs> tune up the band here. <clears throat> New York Jets suck. So there yes, we go. The New York Jets are there. They're zero and nine. They are still thirty two. And um, what what can you say about an zero and nine team? Uh, I like Sam Darnold. Darnold. Well. D- deserves to be butchered. <laughs> Darn old. I-, I like Sam, but other than that, the-, the Jets are just the, as we call them from week to week, the fart of the NFL this year. Indeed. So, yeah, that's who I have at 32. And uh, I kind of gave it away there in the opening, but my 31 this week is the Jacksonville Jaguars at 1-8. and eight. As Leonardo DiCaprio said, as a doctor, and catch me if you can, I concur. Hey, y'all. At 30 this week, I have the Dallas Cowboys who have fallen mightily. And uh, word is that they're going to get Andy Dalton back this week uh, after we saw a really good game from their fourth string quarterback. So I imagine that the Dallas Cowboys even lose that little bit of magic that they had. And uh, that's why I have them in at 30. Right with you. 29, we don't have to go too far. We're just going to go up the road to Houston, Texas, because I have the Texans in at 29. This is where I put the Washington football team. And that's no surprise because that's who I have at 28. 
which is where I have the Texans. Okay. And at 27, I have the, and this is kind of funny. So if you've noticed so far, okay, I already named the Cowboys at 30. I named the Washington football team at 28. So it only makes sense to continue in that shit division. And it's kind of crazy uh, where, you know, where this is going. But I have the Philadelphia Eagles at 27. Oh, wow. I have the Giants here. And I have the Giants in at 26 because they actually have more wins at this point than any other team in their division. They are three and seven. This is where I put the Bengals. And at 25, that's where I have the Cincinnati Bengals. And at 24, I have the uh, the Chargers as well. Okay, so 25, the Jay has the Chargers. And at 24, I have the struggling Denver Bronx. Okay. And at 23, this is where I have this week, the Carolina Panthers, who were looking to be promising, but uh, that's sort of faltered. And man, Teddy Bridgewater has been taking a thrashing the last couple of weeks, and it looks like he potentially could be missing some action this upcoming weekend. So things are only looking worse in Carolina. For and me. Uh, McCaffrey shaking up again. So that's not good. Yeah. Um, 23 is where I put the Falcons. And that's who I have at 22. Um, it's weird. They have three wins this year, and we've seen flashes of a really good football team. But uh, we mentioned it many times here in the past few weeks on the show. The Falcons are an incredibly young team, and they're kind of in flux because they have a lot of young dudes. And then they have guys like Matt Ryan and obviously Julio Jones, who might not even be there uh, after this season. So I have the Falcons this weekend at 22. This is where I put the Eagles, have them a little higher than you, but um Kind of just due to their three, five, and one weird ass record, but um, not looking good. At twenty one this week, I have the, the a team that was looking up, but they're really struggling, and their quarterbacks also getting massacred. I have the Denver Broncos. This is where I place the Detroit Lions. Stafford and company just can't seem to get it together, and uh, not looking great. They at did all. get a. They did get a win this past weekend, so that's the only reason I have them moved up to 20 on my list. Uh, this is where I place the Vikings. Hey, y'all. Okay. At 19, I have the San Francisco 49ers. At 19, this is where I put the Panthers. Um, I still think I, I kind of got that lingering highness on them, but you kind of broke it down better. I'm sure they'll be dropping in the Jays' power rankings as well, but I have them at 19 this week. And you already mentioned them after uh, getting a win. Uh, well, actually, no, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I haven't. You, you did mention them. Um, they were a team that, uh, you know, we didn't really believe in them when they had a good record. And I don't know about you, but I don't really believe in them now. At 18, I have the Chicago Bears. I'm close behind you. I'll just say that since you mentioned them, I have the Bears at 17. My 18 is the 49ers. Okay. So, Moving on down the list here, and at 17 this week, this is where I have the Vikings. So coming up a little bit in my power rankings due to their big upset win on uh, Sunday Night Football, at 16, I have the Patriots. Same thing here, man. So, And that's the only reason I have them there is because of the big win. Um, And at 15, I have a team that's been winning games, but they're either not doing it impressively or they're not doing it against good opponents. And I have the Cleveland Browns at 15. Right with you, Hey, yo. 
At 14, it's a team that we've seen flashes of greatness out this year, and we've also seen them just completely asleep at the wheel. This is where I have the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, another one where I'll throw out two since you mentioned the team I have at 13. So I, I put the Colts at 13, and I have at 14 the Raiders. Okay, at 13, I have the Rams this week. Okay, moving along here, a team that we're both getting higher on. Smoke that chronic, hey, you 12, I have the Dolphins. And this is where I have the struggling Tennessee Titans falling out of the top 10. That's who I have at 11, the Titans. And that's where I have the Raiders. So here we are for the top 10, the J. Who do you have at number 10 this week? Top 10, dropping uh, throughout the year here because having some struggles and definitely have potential, especially on offense, but some defensive holes at number 10. I had the Seattle Seahawks this week, Hale. Wow, really falling there. Uh, 10, I have a team that had the moment of the year, I think, this past weekend with their big win uh, in Buffalo uh, or against Buffalo, uh, and that is the Arizona Cardinals. At nine, um, decently higher than you here in the top 10, the Jay still has the Rams. And at nine is where I have the Seattle Seahawks falling this week. All right, going to eight, that's where I placed the pre-fermentioned Bills. Okay. And you mentioned whenever you said the Seahawks about a team that we've seen faltered. This is a team that I see faltering. They have a ton of holes, and they're just not looking right to me at all, especially uh, being a very highly ranked team on our list. Uh, And, you know, another falter means they're going to probably be out of the top 10 altogether. And at eight is where I have the Baltimore Ravens. All right, so moving on to number seven, I had the Bills at eight getting upset. Well, not even really upset. It was an amazing game with the the Hail Mary at the end. So that's at number seven where I put the Cardinals above the Bills. And at seven, surprisingly, is where I have the team that lost in that game, the Buffalo Bills. Now, they this is a team that if you remember when like the way we do our power rankings there was a week where uh we didn't really include buffalo and we didn't include tennessee because of the the games getting rescheduled for covid so they had two games essentially count in the matter of a week and the buffalo bills won those two games gazoon height the j thanks uh, no corona and no corona and uh, so that's I still have them kind of up because of that, you know, double counting in one week thing. Yeah. Uh, but it is a team that, you know, with another loss could, you know, start really falling. But that's where I have the bills in at seven. That kind of goes in line with the thinking of my next pick here on the power rankings, the sixth slot. Kind of pondered this one. Hey, you know, because they struggled against a shitty team. We, we actually they struggled against a team that both of us agreed were 31st in the league next to last. And that was the Green Bay Packers, but still a very capable team. And I know how you feel about them, too, having some of their fantasy players. But they still have a really, really good Aaron Rodgers, a a solid offense and a capable defense. Okay, and this might be surprising because there's a a, I don't know how, how close you've been paying attention to my list. There's a team that I sing the praises of on here weekly, and I have been doing this for a while now, even when they weren't playing very well. Um, I think they have a very, very good head coach in Brian Flores. And here's something you might not realize. They started the season one in three. They've won five straight games. And that's why I have in at number six, the Miami Dolphins. Interesting pick. Hey, you know, way higher than me, but I, I don't blame you. They're, they're a solid looking team. I'm enjoying watching them on the red zone, man. 
man, I'm telling you, that's a team people better start paying more attention to because especially with Tua, because you don't really know what you're getting with them when you exactly. play against them. Yep. So they're, they're definitely coming up because of that. So it's time to get into the top five. Top I find five. this to be like the consistently most interesting part of our power rankings every week to see kind of where me and you both line up after watching the games because we don't talk a lot about football uh, before we do the show. So it's yeah, kind of interesting to yeah to kind of see where we both land with stuff so uh you might have an idea of what teams have not been included yet because i think it's similarly the same amount of teams there might be one so there's one team yeah there's one team off so that makes it more interesting at number five this week the jay after the big win this past weekend this is where i put uh and up a lot of spots let me check here because i think they were out of my top 10 last week. Yeah, this is the team I had at 11 last week. Moving up a bunch of spots into the top five, this is where I have Brady and the Bucks. As we always say, that's why it's week to week. And yep. they impressed me as well. Hey, Ale, right with you with the Bucks at number five. Now, at number four, I have a team that you already mentioned. Now, I kind of agreed with where you put them. But their record is what holds up to me. So that's pretty much the only reason. But they're they're horribly inconsistent in specific games. So at four this week, this is where I have the Green Bay Packers. Well, is that funny? Because I can just echo the same thing you just said for my pick. At number four, I still have the Ravens. Okay, I can see that. See, I've... The thing with the Ravens is, I guess, is, the, you know, I watched their game this week because they had the the early game. And I watched them last week, obviously, because they played against the Steelers. And I've just been really underwhelmed by them in the last couple of weeks. They're, their offense is just, they, they just look like they don't know what they're doing. Well, it's almost so, like if Jackson struggles, they lose. Yeah. Like he has to There's, play good. There's no one. Well, he doesn't just have to play good. He has to play like a world. Really good. Yeah. Their receivers literally lend nothing to his game. He he throws all of his tight end, you know, all of his passes to tight ends. And dude, I saw this stat. I don't know if you saw this or not, but the there's, I guess, like as far as tight ends go over the last two or three, I think it's two seasons. Do you know that uh, Andrews for them has more? Uh, receiving touchdowns than any other tight end in football except for Travis Kelsey. Had no idea. Is more than Kittle, which is crazy. Yeah, that is. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. But, uh, you know, Baltimore's kind of been all over the place. So we'll have to see if maybe they could get back on the horse, you know, this upcoming week. So now it's time for the top three. Top three. The J. And I have a funny feeling we're going to have the exact same three teams. <laughs> I do so too. At, at number three this week. I have the New Orleans Saints. Yep, we have the same. And you know what? It's it. It's probably not going to stay that way either because Drew Brees looks like yeah, collapsed lung, really, broken ribs. He, and this is weird too. I saw this today. He's going to get a second opinion. And I understand what a second opinion is. I've worked in healthcare for twenty years. <laughs> how do you misdiagnose the collapsed yes, lung? <laughs> like how in the hell do you like? There's no way. So. Um, it's very possible that he's at least going to miss the next three games because they have not put him on any form of IR, which is kind of surprising. But to me, uh, I really don't think that they're going to have him back for the remainder of at least the regular season. So, uh, and I don't know because anything can happen here week to week. And they do and have is a Hill, good Hill team. the backup? 
uh, I they they refuse to announce it, which kind of sucks because I was thinking about potentially dropping Drew Brees and picking up Jameis Winston. But if they're not going to announce who the the starter is, then I'm not even going to bother there. So yeah, most likely it would be Winston. And I was also going to say this too because of the injury situation. Um, this is probably as high as the Saints are going to get, at least in my power rankings this year. Um, I don't see them, you know. Uh, taking over the the next two spots uh, in in my rankings and I don't see them uh, being better than what they've already been this year with a backup quarterback in there. So time will tell, but I think they're going to peak out this year on my list at three. Yeah, we'll see. So the J, I don't think this is any secret considering we've already spoken about the Pittsburgh Steelers going undefeated and having the most wins. So it's probably no surprise that at two this week, I have the Chiefs and of course at number one, I have, again, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right with you. Hey, you know, Chiefs and Steelers. And if the mic's picking it up, the kids are doing the what's real power <laughs> ranking number one Steelers slot numerous weeks in a row here. Yeah. Pow wow I mean, dance. So, but well, yeah, they're looking great, man. What yeah. And say? there's there's no reason to drop them, especially after the Chiefs being on a bye week. They had a dominating performance against the Bengals. And like I said, the Saints aren't going to overtake, you know, they, they already have two losses anyways. And uh, it's going to take a lot for me to put a team with two losses over a team with none. So the Steelers retain their number one spot again. And uh, it looks like uh, it looks good for next week playing against the Jaguars. Yeah, hopefully it's not the trap game I keep trying to jinx our team on. But I, I don't I don't see it with a, a team with two wins this year and the way the Jags have been looking. And we, we know well enough here on the podcast, if we're ranking them next to last in the league and the Steelers number one, there should be no issues there. Knock on wood as I knock on my penis. Hey, you. Yeah, that's me currently uh, doing that. So, uh, but that's it for the NFL talk this week, guys. Hope you join us next week for more on the NFL week 11. We're going to break down, of course, as we do every week, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Jacksonville Jaguars. And you can tune in also for my potential Hail Mary into obscurity in the world of <laughs> fantasy football. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to also have a actual funeral here on the show next week for the Jays teams. So don't forget. I, I to request a Viking that. funeral. Hey, we're going to yeah. put the blue dragon on a, a makeshift wooden I'm, raft. I'm, and- yeah. I'm currently uh, building the raft out of popsicle sticks. So I hope to have that completed next week. And my son Viking actually funeral. has uh, flaming arrows, as you know. So the seven year old. Yeah. yeah that, that works out great. Go. Absolutely. So we are going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we are going to do our very first movie review of the week. And that's the brand new 2020 release on Netflix, The Trial of the Chicago 7. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Hey, everyone. It's the Jay from the What's Real podcast here today to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damiano Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to churchillpictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation, Johnny Starr, on the streaming talk show, Alone Together Pittsburgh. 
We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today. Welcome back, and as I mentioned before the break, it is time for Movie Review 1. That's easy for me to say. Movie Review 1 of the week, Uh, and it's the 2020 film directed by Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of the Chicago 7. What was intended to be a peaceful protest at the 1968 Democratic National Convention turned into a violent clash with police and the National Guard. The organizers of the protest, including Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot, and the trial that followed was one of the most notorious in history. Uh, The trial of the Chicago 7 has a very formidable cast, including Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, uh, Jeremy Strong, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Frank Langella, and John Carroll Lynch. Um, This is basically what I expected from an Aaron Sorkin film. It definitely has the same look and style that you would be accustomed to with Aaron Sorkin. And uh, I know some of you out there aren't quite the film nerds that me and the Jay are. Uh, So if you've seen uh, the movie Molly's Game, uh, that's Aaron Sorkin. He's also written a lot of stuff. He's a really Uh, prolific writer. Absolutely. Known mainly for the West Wing, but he's also the writer of The Social Network, Moneyball, A Few Good Men, and Steve Jobs. Um, So you're dealing with some heavyweight stuff here, okay? And uh, it's totally an actor-driven ensemble cast. Um, And with that being said, so a lot of the breakdown of this movie is going to be on the performances in and of themselves. Uh, The one that I would was most knowing of going into it was Sasha Baron Cohen uh, playing Abby Hoffman. He did a really good job in this. Um, He wasn't featured as much as I was expecting going into it. Yeah, I thought that as well. But I still thought he was really strong in the role. And I I like Sasha Baron Cohen to begin with. Um, But I, again, I like seeing guys like that do the serious roles. And I thought he pulled it off very well. I don't know if you're familiar with Abby Hoffman, but uh, he really, I thought, like got the essence and the look of him down very well. Yeah. Famously, uh, the character in Forrest Gump mm-hmm. where, where uh, Forrest Gump speaking and like he's swearing and the mic's going off and all that in that classic scene. And of course he was in a really good, um, he was, he was portrayed by uh, Vincent Donofrio yeah. in a pretty good movie years ago. So, um, but off the bat here, Hey, you know, one of the, my biggest takes on this as a positive was I could be hit or miss with courtroom dramas. That's one of those things if we as we've discussed with our consumerism of of art being a mood thing yeah. a lot of the time and the mood you're in. So it's kind of one of those things like I gotta be in the the mood for a courtroom drama, but I, I definitely can enjoy them. And I enjoyed this. And the, the main thing I wanted to bring up initially here regarding that is the fact that the way that he tells the story with some of the flashbacks and kind of the break off stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like that storytelling kind of mechanic they use, like Absolutely. you know, with Sasha Baron Cohen's character when he's like on stage and they're kind of parallel with what's going on in the court. 
Yeah, he's like, like kind of telling the story of what they're going through and what as it's going on. Yeah, that, it, it takes it takes away from the, like the claustrophobia of just sitting there watching an entire film in in a courtroom, or just you know it it, it takes away you know it it kind of helps out the attention span too to exactly. give you something else uh, to look at. Um, but the, yeah, I kind of agree with you, and I think that you know it's a touchy thing trying to do a courtroom drama because it it really takes. A strong cast that has a considerable amount of chemistry with each other to be able to pull it off. Um, but the one thing I'll say now, this, as I mentioned, being the ensemble cast thing, um, I always look for standout performances because you can get lost in the shuffle when you're dealing with so many different actors that can do a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Um, one being one that wasn't so surprising and another one that did surprise me. So I'm a fan of the TV show Succession on HBO. And Jeremy Strong in this movie plays Jerry Rubin. And he is fucking fantastic. Now, he dude's really a good, good actor. Like, uh, Succession's a good show, and he's really good on that. But, like, I didn't foresee him pulling off this kind of a performance. And I was really impressed. Yeah, my standouts, because, I mean, the, the cast is loaded. I mean, you got Eddie Redmayne, as you mentioned, of course, Sasha Baron Cohen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Frank Langella. We'll get into Frank Langella because he killed me in this. He I did thought, great. Dude, I thought that was the best performance in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. He did absolutely great. You want to punch course, him in uh, the face. Yeah, infamous. Uh, and that's how the guy was in real life. Yeah. Um, uh, famous character actor John Carroll Lynch, of course, is always good. He's really uh, he did good, great man. in his role. And my my sleeper, uh, my standout, um, of course, I always got to shout out the the cameo who I didn't even realize was in it was was our man Pittsburgh's own Michael Keaton. Oh yeah, which he, dude, a he, small role, but dude, what small a, role, but what a great performance for such a small role. Exactly. And my sleeper, hey, Ed, was Mark Rylance, who, as both you and I are huge fans of uh, Ready Player One. Yep. Was was uh, like the main um, yeah, like he the played, Zuckerberg kind of character. He played um, uh, William Kunstler. Yeah. So that that was that was a great, great role. Another thing that stood out for me at the bat was. The I mean, this isn't the Thursday night's prime segment, and I don't know if it was unintentional comedy or not, or maybe just Sorkin recreating the kind of awkwardness. But the fucking beginning of the trial had me dying. It was great. How like no, everybody was saying the wrong name and like all yep. arguing and shit. Yep. It's that like, was great. Like, like I'm like, dude, like, I'm gonna like this movie because it was entertaining as hell off the bat with that. Because there was the one part like after Langella fucked up the name, and it's like, you know, uh He's kind of, I think it was uh, Jeremy Strong's character, the Jerry Rubin character, but he was like, he asked him a question. He was like, yes. And he's like, are you sure? He was like, yes, I am absolutely sure that as in, you know, Counselor Wineglass, his name is Wineglass, that I am sure that I was there on Thursday. Like, basically being <laughs> yeah. like, yes, you don't even know fucking people's name and you're questioning if I know what I'm talking about. Like, it was really <laughs> good. Like, and dude, they're, the, the the thing about Langello that's good too, like he's a he could do comedy, he could do serious stuff, but then it, it's just sometimes watching an actor playing like a confused old man, which they definitely played up in parts in this. Is the judge definitely had some mental issues and was a, an asshole too, and he ended up paying for it. 
Um, but like that, he did a really good job in that character from moments of confusion to moments of like yelling at people. Like it, I just really thought that like Langella's performance really held up a lot of the courtroom stuff. And although the other yeah. actors are good too, he was really like, they put a spotlight on him in that scene and he re or in all those scenes. And he always made his mark on every single scene in the courtroom, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, like at the very outset, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Richard Schultz, is is like doing his opening argument and all that. And he kept getting interrupted. Oh, and yeah. Like Frank Langella's judge characters. Like, and I, I need to make a mention here in the courtroom that I have the same last name as Abby Hoffman, but we were not related. And then like that turned into a joke with, yeah. of course, Abby Hoffman like acting up. Like, like come he, on, dad. Or, yeah, he, even, he was like uh, the one part he was like, we mark down uh, contempt of court for Mr. Hoffman. Hoffman. He's like, but father. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, father. Yeah. So that, that stuff was all good. Cause that just makes for an entertaining movie. Cause that's what, like when we we're making the decision to review it for the pod, I'm like, you know, I hope this is like not drawn out and going to be boring. Cause again, the whole courtroom drama, it could uh, be, it very well it could definitely be. could be. So uh, I like how there was a lot of, a lot of uh, comedy, we already mentioned how they'd break out into these other scenes and, and some of them were really intense with, with the, the scenes in the park where the protesters oh, the are facing off with the yeah. cops and everything. So, so that stuff was all good. So, it's, so yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. The one thing that I was going to say too, that's really good about this. And you kind of hinted at it when you said about the courtroom drama, sometimes these are, I mean, and they're, they can be performance pieces for actors and, that can be really good, but it can also be bad in the fact that, and it's, this is going to be a recurring theme anytime me and the Jay talk about movies, because it's something that I think we're both strongly in agreement that it's incredibly important and it could fuck up the best movie ever. And that's pacing. And with something being a courtroom drama, the pacing is integral because it could just get boring and you just tune out. Um, that's something they were very good at in here from just small talk to revelations to story arcs and things like that in the actual courtroom. Um, they did a really good job with that. They correlated it very well with other aspects of the story and things that are going on in the movie. And it, it really all just plays very well together and it just makes it a really, really good movie in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And, and not to uh, remiss with, um, so many character actors and such an ensemble cast, but um, I'm going to butcher his name, but Yaha Abdul-Mateen, who played Bobby Seal. Great. Uh, he was somebody else that I had in my notes. He did really good. Um, like like you were mentioning with uh, Frank Langella's character making you frustrated, that was like the main character that you like had sympathy towards, or at least I did watching. Yeah. Like, man, like they won't let this dude talk. And that got yeah. funny too, where he's like talking about his lawyer, like my lawyer is, he's like, I don't want to hear that again. Yeah. And it was, I mean, there were so many points in the movie where he keeps referring to the other guy as his counsel. And he's like, I'm not his counsel. Yeah, and like any time anybody would correct the judge, he would automatically hit them with a contempt of court charge. And it's like, dude, you're basically seeing a situation breakout that is like, it's so unethical and so illegal what they did to Bobby seal. And he, he obviously got away scot-free in the original trial, thankfully. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, you're, you're literally watching a historic, you know, courtroom piece that is essentially a miscarriage of justice and it's frustrating. And I think that's why it's important 
to to make movies like this and to let people know about stories like this because you know a lot of people have ideals about justice and things and that's not exactly how it works out in the real world and here is essential proof of that in real time even though you're watching a movie and not the real life thing this is something that actually happened and it's more than documented that it's not just a fake story and that's something that was cool too because i knew a bit about uh, this part of history, Same. but not anything in detail, you know? So yes. it, was, it was definitely interesting to see where it went and it was built up really well. The climax was built up well, how everything went down at the end and, you know, everything kind of gets you pumped up and Langella's just banging the, the, the mallet down, you know? Um, and as we do here, hate eel, um, I think the J has wrapped up his summary of my review on the trial of the Chicago seven. I will throw at you the tagline in 1968. Democracy refused to back down. There you go. So that's a good one because yeah, that's kind absolutely. of the basis of it. You yeah. Know? So, but yeah, really, really well written by Sorkin, solidly directed, great ensemble cast. Once again, for a courtroom drama, dependent on on the mood I'm in, it sucked me in. I was into it. I laughed a lot. I was interested in to see, you know, how everything played out because again, not knowing the exact results and stuff. So on the what's real scale of five stars, I give us a solid three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I thought the cast was fantastic, well-directed, well-written, um, well-paced, very entertaining movie. Uh, I would definitely highly recommend this one. And I actually like this one even a little bit more than the J did. So I'm going to give this one four stars on the five-star uh, ranking scale. So hope you guys enjoyed our review of the trial of the Chicago seven. We are going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, it's time to get into some more wrestling as we give you guys the WWE. I almost said F WWE survivor series 2020 preview. So stay tuned guys. We'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast. The IWC, the International Wrestling Cartel, presents the third annual Pittsburgh Pro Wrestling Classic, December 5th, 2020, from the Court Time Sports Center in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. All tickets are $25. You will see the IWC Tag Team titles defended in a ladder match as the champions Money Shot defend against the main event. And the IWC World Heavyweight title will be defended in a steel cage matchup as the IWC World Champion Champion Jock Sampson defends against Jack Pollock. All this and much more on Saturday, December 5th, 2020, bell time at 7 p.m. at the Court Time Sports Center. That's the IWC International Wrestling Cartel, third annual Pittsburgh Pro Wrestling Classic. And we're back, and as I mentioned, it is time to get into some Survivor Series 2020 talk. Here is the preview of our show. They are going with a Raw versus SmackDown uh, angle this year with the show. NXT will not be taking part in the pay-per-view as they did last year for whatever reason. Uh, one of the things that uh, should be mentioned, and it's kind of what the uh, the marketing for the show is, is kind of pushing, and that is this is the 30th anniversary celebration of The Undertaker. Uh, he debuted uh, 30 years ago at the Survivor Series event, being the mystery man uh, brought out by Ted DiBiase for his team, making an indelible mark on the world of professional wrestling that stands today. So, and I know I do know that there are a few 
superstars of the past that will be coming back for this. Uh, one of the ones that I remember off the top of my head is Savio Vega will be back as they were actually really good friends behind the scenes. Um, so that's interesting in, in and of itself. I don't know what they're going to do and it's not a match. So that's good, but uh, I'm definitely curious to see what this is going to be like. Dude. So crazy. 30 years of the undertaker. And, and I remember watching Scramble Vision the night he debuted. Yeah, so yeah, I was we talked watching about live. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you saw it live as a kid when he debuted. Um, I sort of saw it live. <laughs> yeah, just like how you used to try to watch porn back in the day. You know, like oh, there was a sort nipple of. in that Scramble Vision. But yeah, it's it's just crazy. Thirty years that the Undertaker's been a professional wrestler, uh, just at that level, the longevity of the character and of the performer. Um, Mark Calloway, of course, behind. And uh, yeah, as, as they're saying in the, the press on C- CBS with WWE, um, WWE has confirmed that this event will feature an appearance by Undertaker for a final farewell, seemingly ending his career officially where it all started 30 years ago after several semi-retirements. So that's definitely a, a cool underlying thing to, to check out uh, with Survivor Series off the bat. Yeah, totally agree, man. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that for sure. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the rest of the show is pretty much Raw versus SmackDown. And they're doing this. Uh, th- there's two Survivor Series matches and all their champions will be facing off. So we have the mid-card champions uh, going one-on-one and that's Bobby Lashley will be going one-on-one with Sami Zayn. Uh, that's a match that I don't think anybody really cares about. It could be okay because Sammy's pretty good, but uh, it's not even something I really care about. I'm sure you probably feel similar. No, I just I just like how they went around the the they went towards this route of setting up this show. Uh, as as you broke it down perfectly, hey Ed, I, I like this setup where you have the two Survivor Series matches and then it's all the champions from Raw and SmackDown. That's like the entire show. Because yep. that gives us the fresh matchups, at least, that we're looking for on exactly. none of this recycled stuff from week to week as well. So, like you said, off the bat, nothing nothing too crazy to go about with Lashley being involved. <laughs> but Sammy can do what Sammy does. So, yeah, it could, could turn into something entertaining from Sammy. And as you said, the Jay, all these fresh matchups, stuff we've never seen before. So, we're going to see Asuka versus Sasha Banks. Other than this match. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you know what? It's one I won't complain about because both can go. No, that'll of be course, good. So it will be good. Yeah. So I can't. If you're going to have any recycled match, uh, this is one I'll accept. And one that I'm actually looking forward to, I think this should be pretty cool as the battle of the Raw and SmackDown tag teams as we are going to have the New Day uh, facing off against the Street Profits. So if they give that time, that should be a pretty yeah. fun match. This is and, for and the first time it's ever. Gonna be it's going to be New Day, the version of Xavier and Kofi, uh, the tag team, obviously, with Big E kind of being on SmackDown and split from them. But uh, but yeah, this is, this should be a lot of fun. Yeah, this could be a show stealer, and you hit the nail on the head as we do with WWE booking if they give it time. Exactly. Um, and we had a, also had a, a strange development as we were originally going to get Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton in a battle of champions. Well, that has changed because as of Monday night, uh, Drew McIntyre went on to defeat Randy Orton to become the new WWE champion. So now we are going to get uh, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. And uh, that should be a fun matchup. Um, but I mean, common sense tells me here that Roman's going to beat him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think the way that Roman is being pushed right now kind of leads me to agree with you. 
I feel like the the way that everything's gone down with his push on SmackDown in comparison to Drew McIntyre, who it was kind of weird the way that they had him drop the belt and then win it again. I don't know why they did that. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. If there's something behind the scenes or like, I don't know. That's just weird booking and storytelling to me. Dude, if that was a creative decision, it was a terrible one. I'll say that much. As we always do, blame Vince because I'm sure he had every everything behind that. Like we need to, we need like he's beating Orton too much. He needs to at least get one in there, and then we could just get it back on McIntyre at Raw. And I think that they're probably more inclined to do stuff like that now with their with their not being crowds because they can kind of do that. They don't really have to deal with the fan backlash that they would normally deal with and get a bunch of weird TV because fans are lukewarm on a champion. They don't have to deal with that now, so they can kind of flip everything willy-nilly as they choose, which isn't really a good thing for the product, but it's a good thing for them because then they could be lazy and just do the booking however in the fuck. Yeah, and, and with with Reigns being the heel specifically in this match, I feel like with the storyline stuff uh, with Jey Uso, that he'll be involved somehow, and as always with WWE, they'll give a reason for Drew McIntyre to end up losing. And I think, you know, Orton is probably going to be involved here. It wouldn't surprise That's me true. because we've heard, we've heard the rumblings for so long about Edge versus Orton again for Mania, and they couldn't do it. Uh, you know, and do it well, they wanted to do it for SummerSlam too, but Edge, you know, was injured. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see maybe an Edge appearance here too, uh, just to kind of, you know, because this isn't a means to an end. This is just a one show Raw versus SmackDown thing. So I could see them getting a lot of stuff involved on both sides with storyline where like the Usos and then Orton and then maybe Edge and, you know, they could just overbook that segment like that because on a card like this, you're not really dependent on that one match to to draw the card. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you would even maybe make the assumption that this wouldn't even be the main event. I mean, I'm thinking it is, but there is a chance yeah, that they can main event the men's Survivor Series match. Absolutely. 100%. They've done that before, yeah. so it wouldn't be a big surprise, you know. Uh, now, speaking of Survivor Series matches, we have two slated. And, of course, the way the WWE works stuff out at the time of our recording on Tuesday, we don't have full lineups, so we'll just give you what we have right now. Uh, the women's matchup is Team Raw of Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Mandy Rose, Dana Brooke and Lana uh, taking on the SmackDown team of the Riot Squad and Ruby and Liv, Bianca Belair, and two yet-to-be-named uh, participants. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and, and, you know, and say that this is kind of going to be a showcase, I think, for Bianca Belair. Um, if they're smart, she would be the one to go over here and be the sole survivor. They're not smart, Hale. Yeah, they're not. So we'll probably see one of the random mystery where like Mickey James ends up winning somehow, even though she hasn't been on TV in months. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is here. I don't I, I think that, you know, and I'll I'll talk about this more when we talk about the men's one. Um, they just lined the women up. They weren't particularly trying to get the best of the best in one match. This is, you know, this is going to be the storyline filler uh, Survivor Series match of the two. Yeah, because you got all the storyline stuff between Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Lana going on, where Lana, yep. Lana's been, uh, what is it, uh, Samoan dropped through the announce table nine weeks in a row. And they they also kind of have the the other storyline too of Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke being a tag team now. And when they're hurt, like they're they put out. And their their main 
advocates or their main, you know, competition was Nia and Baszler. So are they going to be in the match? Do you know? No, they, they announced on Raw since they were injured because um, I forget the name of, of the character from the – what's the whole faction that's taken over Raw or tried to? Oh, Retribution. Retribution. Uh, so Mia Yim, I forget the name of her character. It's okay. horrible. But she beat up Dana Brooke. And okay. uh, Mandy got taken out by Shayna Baszler in the match. She, like, tore up her arm. So they, oh, they announced that, that they were out of competition for the Survivor Series match. And it's it's probably due to whatever happened, if you remember, a week or two ago with Nia Jax throwing Mandy out of the ring. And she was actually hurt, like her shoulder was fucked up. Yeah. So that's probably the reason why she can't be in the match. But did they say who was taking the place? Um, I guess uh, Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. Okay. So there you go then. So that's the rest of the the Raw team. And the SmackDown team, I'm I'm assuming, will probably be filled out as of Friday. Yeah, Friday. On the actual exactly. episode of SmackDown. Yep. So moving right along, we have the men's matchup. We have Team SmackDown of Kevin Owens, Jay Uso, King Corbin, Seth Rollins, and a mystery guy. Uh, who probably won't be a mystery guy. They'll probably announce that on SmackDown on Friday. Taking on uh, Team Raw which is Braun Strowman, Sheamus, AJ Styles, Keith Lee, and Matt Riddle, um, which is a pretty good lineup. I assume this match is probably going to be pretty long. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I tend to like Survivor Series tag matches to begin with, and they do a pretty good job at getting 10 guys that can go, and they do give them time because these matches take a while because you got to do multiple pinfalls and different guys get eliminated. Um, but, yeah, I you know, the men's match looks pretty solid to me. I think that'll be a fun one to watch. I like the storyline they've been doing on Raw. That's the only one with I've the seen. Team, the team captain. Yeah, with AJ, AJ. And he has that big bodyguard dude now. And like even this week on Monday Night Raw, because like the dude hasn't spoke yet. And um, yeah. like he finally spoke. And he's like, I didn't know you spoke English. You should have told me. You know, it's, AJ's just funny in that role. He just does great with he that. Is, yeah, he's good because he's done this before. But like they'll have him be a heel, but he'll be but like But he's this- goofy. Yeah, and it's funny and it's pretty entertaining. And AJ, you're right. AJ is really good in that type of role. And he can do that's why I like AJ, because I think he's been able to prove like he could be the shit kicker baby face. He could just be the regular baby face. Yeah, he really can't do He could be a badass heel. He could be a chicken shit heel. Like everything they've done with AJ, he's done a really good job with since since showing up in the company. I know we weren't big on Strowman, especially his title run. It was just I mean, and that had a lot to do more with creative and booking even than him. Him and his character and all that, but he still kills me with just the way he is too. That's just my like. It just it just cracks me up personally, man. Like how he talks. Yeah, I don't like. He's just like, I don't like the captain. Yeah, like, he's like I just, thought that again, stuff was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, but I'm just I don't like him in the ring at all. Yeah, um, but but you know, nonetheless, I think that the, this match has all the makings of a pretty good Survivor Series match. There's dudes that could go. Uh, it's good. It's there's some fresh matchups and stuff in here, too. Uh, so that'll be kind of fun. And then to see, you know, guys like Seth Rollins going in there with AJ Styles and Keith Lee and, you know, it, it'll be a pretty fun match. There's no doubt about it. Um, now, I, I have no idea, you know, how they're going to book the match. I could see AJ doing some some bullshit to end up being the, the sole survivor. You know what I mean? Like hide under the ring and shit like 
just be a total chicken shit and then somehow be the last guy standing. But they they probably won't do that. They tend to book AJ pretty strong. Um, but I have no idea who's going to win this match, and I think that's kind of cool. I think it would be smart for them to have Keith Lee win the match, but as you mentioned, they're not smart. So who the hell knows? What we're exactly. Do. Yeah, and, and just rounding out this card, it's the classic WWE pay-per-view, man, on paper, especially in the Corona era and things like that, uh, where there's it's, it's just such a big question mark, as always with the WWE, how they're going to book and what they're going to give time to. But there is yep. there is a lot of potential on this card for an entertaining show. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll definitely be watching this one on Sunday. I know you probably will too, uh, especially because you know survivors. We're forced to because we have a podcast. Hey, yo. Well, of course, that's part of it too. But I mean, <laughs> I, I generally, you know, I admittedly, I don't always watch these live, even though we do review them here on the show. But usually, the big ones, like the the original four are ones that I tend to watch live. And I kind of even said to you a while ago about how I was not really into the product at the moment. You kind of agreed with me on that, but I did bring up the fact that I'm like, but I could see myself getting back into it at survivor series. Cause they usually do a pretty good job at the build up for the show. Yeah. And that's the thing I, I knew there was a title change and I, I didn't want to spoil myself. I just caught the headline, like unprecedented first title change on raw in 15 years or something. And I, I yeah. honestly just off the bat assumed that that was, um, McIntyre winning it, but I didn't know if anything goofy happened. So just watching Raw pretty freshly earlier today did get me kind of back into it. Like I said, with all the interactions with the Survivor Series team and everything. So, so yeah, we'll see. Hopefully this turns a corner because as you and I preach, man, we'll, we'll back it and be into it. It's not like we just sit here and are those classic wrestling fans that shit on the product on Twitter just to do that and are super negative. Ed and I just call a spade a spade, you know, and if they can drag us back in and do, do some good shit, I'd be all for that. Absolutely. And I kind of hope they do. You know what I mean? Like we say, like, we're not rooting for them to fail. We want them to be good. It's, it's more entertaining for us as wrestling fans if they are. So that's the preview of the survivor series. So join us next week for a full breakdown of the show, each and every match and all the fun stuff that happens or lack thereof. uh, So then we'll be here to make fun of it. So exactly. uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break and it is going to be time for some Thursday night prime, the most action packed segment in weekly podcasting this week with blind fury from 1989. So stay tuned guys. We'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast. Cut and Run Studios is a multimedia facility that specializes in video production and photography. In the internet era, visual communication is the most powerful tool for storytelling. We believe it is our job to deliver the most compelling visual interpretation of a message and provide all the necessary capabilities in-house so that we can cover every angle of your story. Our production facility is at 1532 Beachview Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA, 15216. Check us out at cutandrunstudios.com. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. And we're back, and it is that time. That's right. It's time for Thursday Night Prime, courtesy of 1989 and Blind Fury, directed by Philip Noyce. Yep, dude's last name is Noyce. Noyce. Um, he is... He has directed uh, a handful of stuff such as The Bone Collector, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, The Saint with Val Kilmer, Dead Calm, and Salt with Angelina Jolie. So it's kind of funny to think this is where he started at. 
um, uh, classic Thursday Night Prime entity. It's a film about a blind Vietnam vet played by Rutger Hauer, trained as a sword fighter, comes to America and helps to rescue the son of a fellow soldier. Uh, pretty simple premise. Um, you have a surprising cast here. Um, we have Rutger Hauer, as I mentioned, um, playing Frank Devereaux, which is such a B-movie name to me, Frank Devereaux. <laughs> yeah. uh, is classic movie villain Terry O'Quinn, known from the Stepfather series and the TV show Lost. Uh, Brandon Call plays Billy Devereaux. You might remember him as JT from the TV show Step by Step or his teenage run uh, on the show Baywatch. And uh, also... Randall Tex Cobb shows up in this one. Meg Foster is in this movie. Um, I don't even know if you know who this is, the Jay, but I totally forgot he was in this and I was going nuts. Do you know who Sho Kasugi is? They played the assassin? Yes. No. This is the dude. He's the main guy in like Enter the Ninja. I don't know if you've ever seen Enter the Ninja, the Jay. It's on Amazon Prime. I actually checked this yesterday because it all popped into my mind. It's a ninja movie where uh, Sho plays the main assassin and the main ninja character is Franco Nero. It's oh, wow. Fucking am- it's, a, it's a canon movie from the 80s. Like, oh, let's you check got, that out. You, you got to check it out. It's, it's a great flick. Um, but also, I had to mention this specifically with you on the show, The Jay. Your dad is in this movie. Who's that? Nick Cassavetes. Nick, oh yeah, Cassavetes, up, yeah. Which and, uh, I was Rick I'm watching, Dude, I'm watching this movie last night, right? And I am fucking dying the whole time because of Cassavetes. Because I'm like, all right, we're going to talk about this on the podcast. And this is a, a running joke since we were teenagers is that Jared's dad looks just like B-movie slash softcore film star slash son of legendary filmmaker john cassavetes and that's his son nick mainly um, off of the it, wraith with charlie yes Shane. yes that's probably his most well-known role uh and dude i totally forgot how funny this is he plays like this dipshit redneck dude in this movie which is super against cast for him yeah with overton um, who's hilarious yeah like they they get they're like this duo of stupidity in the show um or in the movie but the thing is now Everything that we've told you about this movie and the fact that it's on Thursday Night Prime probably has a lot of you thinking that this is just like a really stupid B-movie. And in fact, the premise itself is completely, utterly ridiculous. And watching Rutger Hauer in this movie do all kinds of sword fighting and running around being a blind man who essentially is not affected by his own blindness. Driving. Um, Yeah, driving, all kinds of shit. But, dude, the fact of the matter is this is actually a pretty good movie with that being known. Uh, It's funny. Um, There's some really good action scenes in it. Um, The cast is really good. There's some surprises like in, you know, spoiler alert, it is a movie from 1989. Uh, One of the more surprising things is Meg Foster is one of the bigger names in the movie and she dies in the first five minutes. I didn't fully remember that. Yeah, I didn't either. Tex Cobb takes her out with a shotgun. And dude, I if there's one thing I fucking love, it's Tex Cobb because he always plays the same role. And I love the role that he plays. He and he and he's most famously known for it in Raising Arizona. 
but he's always the dude who will not die. (laughs) He just refuses to lose in any capacity. And this movie is no exception, as we see pretty early on (laughs) um, that Rutger Hauer cuts his hand off with a sword and it basically slows him down for a whole 30 seconds in the movie. Um, but yeah, I really like, I, I'd seen this before and I knew that you did too. So it was a, it was a great choice for the segment, but I forgot how good this movie actually was. Dude. So entertaining, man. I say yeah, it too much it, on this uh, segment, but just fun. And it really, cause it is, it's just a fun ass movie. Now it's not reinventing the wheel and it's not anything that anybody's going to get nominated for an Oscar for, but Ultimately, this one has, it's just, yeah, it's from, it's fun from the, the start to the finish. Uh, they, they basically show you what happened, uh, to Rutger Hauer to have him lose his sight in the movie. Um, and then from there, it's kind of like a wink and a nod. Like, you know, like we're not going to take this too seriously. We're going to use the blindness stuff for comic relief. It works. It's not like you didn't feel like nothing was offensive. Like, it wasn't like, you know, they're doing stuff to blind people that's just like, Jesus, this is awful. Um, It's funny, and it's all done with a good spirit and a good sense of humor. And the movie comes across like these guys had a blast making it because it just seems to seep through the movie. So I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case. And we start to chant again, hate yet, U-I-T. U-I-T, the unintentional comedy, or I said T. Oh, boy. Is there a lot of it in this one? So off the bat, the opening scene where where they're going to show you Rucker Hauer's character, Nick Parker's prominence as a blind uh, swordsman is where, of course, he's just trying to enjoy a little lunch at a um, little dive bar, and the guys are going to fuck with him. And it's just hilarious because he's like having all these quips as he's beating them up. Like he'll like hit a dude and he's like, Oh, sorry. I can't, I didn't see. I can't see. He's like, Oh, sorry, man. Oh, like hits another guy. Oh, so sorry. Didn't mean that I didn't see you there. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is what sets the tone. Yeah. You, the goofy just sense of humor in general is just something that sticks out in this movie. And it's, and I'll tell you something else too. We talked about this earlier in the week off air, obviously, about, you know, we hadn't seen this movie in a really long time. Um, The one thing I did remember about it is it was funny and it had a lot of like blind jokes and stupid shit. And the thing is, when I went back and rewatched it, I'm like, dude, that it, it all holds up and it shows you like it's something that if you see this movie it will be memorable to you you're not going to forget it cuz the premise is ridiculous but the movie in and of itself isn't nearly as ridiculous as the premise and it's surprising to me how much of this stuff actually works well of course the backbone of the film is the relationship between his old war buddy's son and and Rucker Howard's character because yep. uh you know the kid of course hates him at first and Rucker Howard is just burdened by the kid and all that. And there's like a really funny scene towards the beginning where, um, Rucker Howard falls in mud and the kids laughing at him. And then the kid gets broke and Rucker yeah. Howard just starts laughing at him. Yeah. And, uh, that shit, that scene has me dying. I always remember that scene as being funny as shit. And they, they go to get on the bus and, um, Rucker Howard is like, I get to run the seat. you don't need it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he's good too at playing like the surly jerk off. Yeah. Like when he needs to, you know what I mean? Like with, with the comedy um, that worked. I, I also wanted to mention this shout out to Brandon Cole rocking the, uh, the Indiana dunks. Yeah. If you noticed that, that was which great. Is like, and I mean, they're banged up to shit, but still it's like, they're okay, I see, the, see the dunks making an appearance here. So that was kind of cool. And I don't know. If, I don't know if shit. you remember this. Um, there was a one part where they're like kind of doing the backstory where the little, you know, of course the classic, the kids, little Billy, little Billy's like yeah, starting yeah. to warm up to Rucker Howard and he shows them, they're like talking about his dad and Rucker Howard shows them like the war photo and yeah. Rucker, like the dad's looking straight, Terry Quinn and Rucker yeah. Howard still looking the other direction. Like he's blind. And he's like, and Oh, he's you could see yet. then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. Dude, <laughs> you got to see uh, Rocker Howard's face in that picture. And, and then, of course, with um, the antics of Cassavetes and Overton, the Pike brothers, like you said, like the redneck goofs that are chasing uh, Rucker Howard and little Billy the whole time. And, yep. and at one point, um, of course, as usual with 30, Thursday Night Prime, 80s, 90s movies, horrible to women. They say bitch, oh, yeah. like the the blonde. They they just like Dude, overtly they, say it like bitch. There, there's like I forget what it was, but like wasn't she like a teacher or something? The lady with glasses. Yeah. Okay, so it's like there's a scene in the movie, and I, I think it's Tex Cobb, but it was like it was like like they were all like arguing about something, and he's like, I don't know, just take the teacher bitch like yeah, exactly it's like she, like they're not even talking to her and, and, and like at one that. at one point the brothers come up on these old ladies to commandeer their car and they just say oh. bitch and then the old lady gets out and shoots at them yeah that's, that's dude i remember hilarious. that being one of the funniest parts in the movie the driving scenes hilarious you know Ridiculous. what I mean? Like the, the first time that like Rutger Hauer and he's like, wait a minute. What do you, he's like, you could direct me like, yeah, dude, that shit's great. Um, dude. And I, I'm going to take a little bit from your uh, side of the things here as a quote um, there. So, and, and dude, this is something I didn't notice. Right. So yeah, have you ever seen the movie Nighthawks with Rutger Hauer and Stallone? Okay. So if you remember in that movie, he plays Reinhardt, that fucking terrorist. And right. there's a big part in the movie that takes part on them fucking, I don't even know what the hell you call these things. The They usually have them in like places with mountains or ski resorts, but they're like the indoor carts that ha- that hang from the lines. Yeah. And yeah. they like go up the mountain, but they're all enclosed, you know? And it's like, there's a major scene in that movie with that. And it's a memorable part of Nighthawks. I swear to God, they did the same thing in this movie just because of Nighthawks. And it's like another one of them scenes with the enclosed like a wink, thing. wink, yeah. yeah. Now, the reason why I bring that up specifically is because there's a scene where the bunch of these redneck dudes trying to kill Rutger Hauer think he's in one and he's not. And they shoot it to shit. As soon as it shows up, like on the, the platform, they blow holes through this thing. And as soon like, you know, it's like this barrage of firearms just going nuts. And it's like, and then it's, they're all done. And the one dude's like, woo, that thing's got more holes than my daddy's rubber. That's hilarious. I was dying. Fucking dying. To to finish that up with the Pike brothers, because I thought you were going to steal my last one for them. They're all 
in this elevator and Rucker Howard like swings his sword and like takes out the electrical service. Yep. And they both say in, in um, cohesion with each other. Shit. Fuck. Shit. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. The shit. Fuck. Yeah. That was amazing. Cause you know, that's one of those ones. The writers are going to be like, this is going to go over huge. Yeah, a shit fuck. Got to put a shit fuck in there. Uh, dude, and then I love unintentional comedy that you make up yourself. So there's a scene that I mentioned earlier wherever uh, Rutger Hauer cuts off Tex Cobb's hand. So the way that it happens, though, is they're all uh, Tex Cobb's chasing them through a cornfield. And there's all these That whole scene is weird. It, it's a it's a great scene, but like you know, you got Rutger Hauer alone, kind of feeling his way through a cornfield, and it just popped in my head. It was like like a blind man in a cornfield. I don't know why, but I just yeah. it popped in my head, and I just thought it was funny. And the other thing that got consistent laughs out of me is during a lot of the fight scenes, the Rutger Hauer's stunt double has the goofiest fucking wig on that it's like it's this goofy blonde fucking yeah it doesn't match it's usually crooked and it's huge so he just looks like this idiot with this weird huge hair that doesn't look like Rutger Hauer's in the movie and every time there was a fight scene I started to look for it and I was like cry laughing like (laughs) multiple times through the movie because of it and just to do a J rewind with your thought and for our listeners, why you thought that with the blind man in the cornfield is from the classic naked gun, like a blind uh, like a, man in an orgy. I yeah. feel my way around <laughs> like a midget, like a midget at a urinal. I was coming up short. <laughs> yeah. I had to be on my toes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah this, this has all, all the stuff we love for Thursday night prime. So we knew it'd be a, a good second one here after some van damage last week to keep the segment rolling. And here on the podcast, Hey Ed, as we love to do the tagline for blind fury, love Nick it. Parker is quick as a snake, strong as a bull, not to mention blind as a bat. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a there, there's another one that I mentioned on the show last week, but I think it's good to mention again. He may be blind, but he don't need no dog. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> one. Yeah, so solid, yeah. entertaining Thursday night prime action here on Ab- uh, this week's episode. Absolutely, man. I really enjoy this one. I think it's literally perfect for Thursday Night Prime. It's definitely one of those movies that when me and the Jay speak about Thursday Night Prime, it's a it's a small handful of movies that come to mind, and this is definitely one of them. Um, and on the uh, typical five-star rating scale, for me, Blind Fury is going to get a solid three stars. That's where I'm at. Hey, yo. Three stars. So, Yep, you can't go wrong with some Blind Fury. If you guys want to check that out, it is available currently on Amazon Prime Streaming. Uh, So you can check that out if you have the subscription, then you already get it included, and you can check that out as well. And I have a doozy for next week, the J. Uh, This is one that's kind of a continuation of something that we've done before. So we're doing a sequel uh, to a movie that we've already checked out on Thursday Night Prime. This time, the Dudikoff is back yes. in American Ninja 2, The Confrontation. Yes. So Love it. check us out next week for that. That's American Ninja 2, The Confrontation on Thursday Night Prime. So we are going to take another quick commercial break. And when we come back, it's time to do our weekly wrap-up as well as some goofs. 
So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Blood Freak movie. In 1975, Blood Freak was unleashed on society and became the world's only pro-Christian, anti-drug, mutant turkey horror film. This is the remake from Drunken Yinzer Productions and directed by Daniel Boyd and Tim Gross, written by Daniel Boyd. When idiot biker Herschel meets gorgeous sisters Angel and Anne, his simple life takes a drastic turn. He's introduced to both religion and marijuana. His conflict between these two siblings leads him into a strange journey that will turn him into a true monster and finally lead him on a path of righteousness. But first, he must face turkey hell. Blood Freak Movie. Welcome to Goofs or Goofs. That's right. So it is that time, the Jay. So what do we got this week on the goof front? As we consistently say from week to week, hey, y'all, no lacking in goofs. And that's what we love here at What's Real. So let's start off Goofs or Goofs for episode 47. And a man that was literally our first goof, Goofs or Goofs segment candidate, we're going to go back to him because I think that's a, a what's real tradition is to throw this guy in here anytime we can. And that's former Steelers wide receiver, current Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver, A.B. himself, Antonio Brown, who finds himself back in the news once again for negative situations. Uh, so there was a recent incident on uh, this is dating back to October 15th, hey, Il, where he lives in Miami, um, the Hollywood police out there. Uh, where he was accused of angrily destroying a surveillance camera at his gated community in Hollywood, Florida, and in turn throwing a bicycle at a security guard shack. Jesus. I mean, what an idiot. You know, what does this guy want? He's currently playing for what we both agreed was the number five ranked team in the NFL currently. And he still is getting reported for antics such as this. I just don't get it with this guy. Yeah, I mean, dude, there's a reason why he's living with Tom Brady as a grown ass man with money. Like, yeah, it's to keep he's Alicia getting and to keep him from. Yeah, basically, that's what's going on. He he's shown repeatedly that he doesn't know how to act uh, outside of the game of football. Uh, this kind of proves that he still doesn't really, you know, have it all together. And this is also a dude that is is awaiting trial too for some serious allegations. So. You know, I just, you wonder with people like if they're ever going to get it. And it just seems again that we're going down that route and it, this is just starting up. So, like, you know, is he even going to make it through the season? Yeah. I mean, at the time of the incident, the Hollywood police determined that they had probable cause to charge Brown with misdemeanor criminal mischief. However, the Homeowners Association president, Sylvia Berman, declined to press charges, according to the police report, saying she feared Brown may retaliate against her employees. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, she went on to say it's not that we're afraid of him and talked about, you know, how he had to agree to replace the broken camera. The Buccaneers, of course, saying we are aware of the report incident reported incident involving Antonio Brown prior to his signing. When Antonio joined us, we were clear about what we expected and required of him. Thus far, he has met all the expectations we have in place, meaning he's still good at football. So we're going to keep him employed on the team as long as he doesn't get arrested. 
yeah, and, you know, let's see how that goes because, you know, we've seen it happen here in Pittsburgh and it didn't really get to be to that point uh, with the Raiders or with the Pats. But, like, you know, you get this dude in a compromising situation and he starts to become a locker room issue too. So, and as a team, you know, like Tampa, they don't need shit like that. They're trying to get everything together and they're trying to become more of a unified, you know, unit. And that's the kind of shit that makes sure that that doesn't happen. And I know that Bruce Arians himself has even said that, you know, one fuck up and he's gone. And, you know, I know that doesn't include something like <laughs> They're going to be like, well, like that happened stum- before I said that. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But my point is how long till the other thing happens? Yeah, it's just crazy. But that's why he's a great candidate and he'll always be thrown in with his fellow goofs. Absolutely. Moving along within the goofs of the NFL. Hey, you know, I thought this was a pr- pretty funny thing for this segment. So big news here, hey, Eild, in uh, Cleveland town for the Browns. Let's congratulate them here. Baker Baker Mayfield passes Big Ben Roethlisberger with wins at the Browns home stadium. (laughs) (laughs) And he's only been their starting quarterback for two seasons. This is a third season. After this Sunday's win in Houston, he officially passes Big Ben as the most winning quarterback at the Browns stadium. So I thought thought that was hilarious and worth throwing in here we'll have to see if uh if ben could tie that record again if uh you know because it's possible that baker doesn't win any more home games and then the last game of the season we got to play them so who knows ben could get that uh, he could tie that record again very very true hey y'all next up on <laughs> the goose or goof segment we have a, a stacked segment segment this week and i say that with a segue the word stacked as dolly parton Wants to pose oh, for the cover of Playboy as she is turning seventy-five, and <laughs> and then and then someone reminded her that Playboy doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Dolly Parton's dream of being a seventy-five-year-old woman gracing the cover of Playboy might soon become a reality. We've learned the balls in her court. Here's the deal. Dolly's had her eye on posing for Playboy's January issue when she turned 75, and now the feelings are mutual. A Playboy honcho tells TMZ the magazine would love to shoot Dolly again, and she knows all she has to do is say the word, and it's on. She appeared on the cover of 1978's October issue when she was 32, slipping into a Playboy bunny costume and showing off the big boobs that were part of the rich and famous package. Boobs. Which were just... As, as a as a random side note that has nothing to do with this, uh, you know, we watched uh, a couple of weeks ago. We watched Saturday Night Live with Chappelle, and uh, so Chappelle shows streaming on all kinds of shit now. And I was watching some the other day on HBO Max, and I forgot all about the skit where he goes and interviews the women on the street, and he's like, "You've got a great set of New York boobs." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I told Katie I want to rewatch like the whole freaking series since it's. Oh, there was one night. Me and Shauna watched like a good three or four episodes one night, and I was like, "Dude, I gotta go and just watch all oh, these." They're, they're and the so good, good thing is too, in all the streaming things, they're all uncut. Yeah. So it has all the you know no bleeps or nothing. So and dude, I don't know if you remember. This is totally random, but to bring it up on the podcast. Why not? Uh, back in the day. This is like, I remember around the years where you just finished up from college and you were back home, you know, before you kind of moved back out on your own again. And it was a pretty common occurrence every Wednesday for, to hang out. And we would watch the N, the, the NWA TNA 
Wednesday night pay-per-view. Yep. And then we will, we would watch South Park and Chappelle show when they were brand new. That was a great so, night. So yeah, we're old as fuck, yeah. but I remember that because we, we would always uh, get a little foggy. I was going to say, with, I mean. with some help from the green. Yep, the indeed. Green and that was, that made for some hilarious nights. But like, I actually remember us watching, you know, the Rick James skit and shit. The, like when it first dying. aired. Yeah. Dying. Like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I mean, with, but, what a lineup with the shit that we love. A, a pro wrestling company true. that's not the WWF pay-per-view followed by a brand new South Park and a brand new Chappelle. I mean, you can't. Right up our alley. Yeah, you can't beat that. So trip down memory lane. Hey, y'all. Couple more uh, to round out the Goofs or Goose segment here on episode 47. So next up, uh, after Dolly's big old boobies, we have the man <laughs> who allegedly sucker punched our American treasure, Sir Ugh. Rick Moranis, is now in police custody and his criminal charges being pushed into a serious category because of Rick's age. So law enforcement sources tell us here at the What's Real podcast, hey, y'all, that NYPD officers arrested 35-year-old Marquise Ventura this weekend in connection to the attack that left Moranis knocked on his ass in Manhattan while walking through some scaffolding in the Upper West Side last month. We're told Ventura was booked on a felony assault charge, which applies since Rick is technically a senior citizen. Basically, if you attack someone who's 65 years old or above, any assault charge that would follow is upgraded. Believe it or not, Rick's sitting pretty at a ripe 67. So you don't fuck with an American treasure, Marques. I can tell you that. Yeah, don't don't ever fuck with Moranis, kid. Yeah. What are you doing? And he didn't even knock him out. He just knocked him on his ass. So. Um, yeah, and that's not really anything to pay. And, and if you, the back if you remember at the time, Chris Evans, Captain America himself, tweeted, My blood is boil- boiling. Find this man. You don't touch Rick Moranis, as we just said. Yeah. And uh, it seems that uh, they have the culprit. So that's good news. Yeah, anyway. it's good news Fucking here. Jerk we off. need as much good news as we can in 2020. So, right. stemming from last week, as we said, hey, Ed, one of the best, if not the best, portion of goose or goose with radamantheus the duck we're we're going <laughs> we're going with a similar a similar story that correlates with it to wrap up this week's what? goose or goose wait till you hear okay. this one hey Eon. the late alien actor john hurt might have known how this bird feels in an amazing photo making the rounds a snake eel blasts through the stomach of a heron flying over delaware <laughs> the herald had apparently swallowed the, the serpent whole photographer sam davis told live science this week he thought at first that the eel had bitten the bird and clamped on but after blowing up the photos and i didn't think sam meant a pun there he saw an entirely different scenario i could see the eel you could see its eyes he said it was actually coming out the other end Kind of like this guy yeah. popped out of Hurt's character in the 1979 sci-fi classic Alien. Cue the Dude, Alien class. You ever, you ever know, notice how many times, there's way too many times in life where you can bring up the chest burster scene from Alien, <laughs> like a normal thing. Yeah. Like, and people are like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, it's a fucking weird correlation that people make with that scene. It's a great scene, but it's like, that should not come up nearly <laughs> as, as much as, as it does. does. Yeah. And, and if you needed to know, hey, eel, snake eels have been known to attempt escape from a predatory fish's stomach by using its pointy tail tip to dig through 
but they don't make it past the rib cage most times. So this motherfucker, he got through and say bye to that hair on in Delaware, but two exploding Jesus. animal goose or goose in, in a back-to-back week time frame here. Hey, y'all. Which is a record. I don't believe that's ever been done. Before. Yeah, we're in so the Guinness we're, book now. You were definitely on the right track. So that's good to know. As I say, hey, y'all, wow. from Baker Mayfield and his own home stadium passing the rival quarterback to the man who punched Rick Moranis and American Treasure getting caught to Dollar, Dolly Parton's boobs to A.B.'s boobs. antics into a heroin alien burst. Goofs. <laughs> Goofs. Are- our goofs. goofs. So that's it for us this week, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, again, I'm going to push you guys to send us an email over at what's real at gmail.com. Of course, you could follow us on the Twitter machine at what's real pod and the number one. Again, that's at what's real pod one. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget that five star review, guys. We really appreciate that. Again, you can listen to us on all your favorite podcasting platforms every week, such as uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those good ones, and mainly at churchillpictures.com. So the J, I hear you over there revving it up, brother. Revving it up, hey, you like the Macy's Day Parade float that what's real would have had if they were having the parade this year. You know your boys yep, would have been in there. we had one planned. Yeah, we would have been right, past, right after Papa Smurf float in the Macy's Day <laughs> Parade. As I always say, love the show. To our producer, the wizard behind the boards, Cam. Keep doing your thing, Cam. Loving it. You're making us 8K sound, and I love it. Hey, you brother from another month. Doing it again, man. 47, closing <laughs> in on the big 5-0. Having a blast. Counting down the days to Turkey Day. Gobble, gobble. One of my favorite holidays. Everybody out there, stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. And that's it for us this week, guys. Uh, you know, thank you uh, to our wonderful producer, the man on the ones and twos, none other than two cam Scorpio, if you will. He's uh, getting funky, if you will, doing a little dance. Uh, the J, nobody else I'd rather do it with, brother. So thank you for sitting down with me each and every Tuesday, as we do here on the program. And uh, that's it for us this week, guys. So don't forget to join us next week for all kinds of podcasting fuckery that we like to bring to you uh, consistently. So that's it. Uh, I am your host. Hey, Ed. And for the J, stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll see you right here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? The real question.